A friend went to the hospital, intensive care unit, to visit a man who was dying, evidently. He had a tent over him, one of these oxygen tents, obviously not in very good condition, was this friend. He wanted to encourage him, and while he was standing there talking to him in this very uh, unusual setting to visit, the fellow obviously was growing worse in his condition. Uh, his breathing became very labored, and his friend visiting thought that he was not able to speak because he was making motions wanting a tablet and a pencil to write on. So he put it underneath the tent and he wrote in a very weak hand and as he wrote the last word, the pencil fell from his hand and he died. His friend reached under to see what he had written and he had said on his note to him, you're standing on my air hose. <laughs> now, I share that silly story with you because I want you to get a very important point. The devil makes sure that something or someone will stand on our spiritual air hose. And when that happens, everything else ceases. Life stops. God wants to work through us. And in order for that to happen, his life has to flow through us. And today, we want to get rid of those who are standing on our air hose. Ezekiel 47 has a marvelous passage about the river of God's Spirit. In the third verse, Ezekiel was brought in the vision to the waters, but the waters were only to the ankles. And then in verse 4, he was brought through the waters, waters to the knees. Again in that verse, he was brought through the waters, and the waters were to the loins. And in verse 5, he came to a river that he could not pass over, for the waters were risen, and here are the key words, waters to swim in. What a marvelous picture of God's flow in the 20th century. While we meet here today, there are marvelous things happening all over the world. I have said it before, but let me repeat it. There are countries in this world that have a faster born-again rate than they do the natural birth rate. God is moving in such an unprecedented way. Our own church has been blessed in a marvelous way in recent months and years until we have to build new facilities, and we know that when those are available, there will be another marvelous growth pattern developing that we may touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Families are being united. Lives are being touched. God is indeed flowing through people and ministries in a marvelous and tremendous way. But as we come to Sunday morning church, 
I'm sure it would be true of this congregation as it would be true in most every congregation. The majority of us would have to say today, if we were asked, is God flowing through you in the measure that you believe he wants to flow, we would have to say no. And then if we were to ask why, we would have to admit it's my fault. I am not allowing God to work through me as he would work through me. Therefore, we need to take a look at the verses that we have on the back of our bulletin for this service and this sermon, how God works through us, and find how the fruits of the Spirit are manifest, how the Holy Spirit descends upon people so that they can be God's instrument of power and blessing to the world. And that is our intent in the message today. When I was 17 years of age, had just graduated from high school, God called me to the ministry. I was endeavoring to embark on a career in music with a scholarship in music to the university when God turned my direction totally around. And I remember so well the key factor in all of that process. It was that I yielded my will and my life completely to God so that he could work through me. And on this special anniversary Sunday of my ministry here, I just want to testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God to that working and to that manifestation of his love and his power. But it began when, as a young person, I said, God, take all of me and use whatever there is to be used for your glory. Flow through me in any way that you can. In Acts 4, verse 13, the Bible records when they saw the complete assurance of Peter and John, who were obviously uneducated and untrained men, they were staggered. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The world was staggered because they recognized his followers as people who had been with Jesus. And God worked through them to bring the message of life to the known world. Today I want us to look at how God works through us. First of all, I would like you to consider your attitude towards sin. God works through us by our attitude towards sin. Do you know that the Almighty is limited in terms of using you according to how you feel about sin? There is altogether too much a light attitude about sin in our world today and in the church. People don't think about sin as they ought to think about sin. We treat sin lightly when it was sin that nailed Jesus to a cross. Sin is sin. It's ugly. It's black. It's dark. It is what will carry people to hell. And in the church today, we do not have the right feeling, in my opinion, about sin. 
We see how close we can get to the world and still keep our salvation when we ought to be seeing how far can we get away from the world that God might work through us to touch the world. You remember how Moses was brought into a place of compromise by Pharaoh. He said to Moses, go ahead and leave Egypt, but leave your women and your children behind. They won't be able to make this journey. Moses saw through that. He saw it as a compromise. He knew the men would have to return very quickly because the wives and the children were back there. We can't get along without you ladies. It was a compromise. Then he said, go ahead and go, but leave your animals behind. Compromise. Moses said, it's all or nothing. That needs to be the attitude of all of us in church today. We need to see the world as God sees it. It's polluted. It is degradated. And God is calling the church of Jesus Christ to holiness and righteousness until... In 1 John 3, 9, John says, He who is born of God does not continue to practice sin. Repentance is turning away from sin, and the Holy Spirit can never work through you until you see sin as something that nailed Christ to the cross, killed the Son of Glory, and will ruin you if you don't turn your back completely on it and follow after Jesus Christ. The real Christian says, I will not compromise. I will be a Christian every day as on Sunday. On the job, I will be a Christian. In the office, I will be a Christian, just as in church. In Mark 5 is the story of the devil-possessed, very dangerous man who ran through the cemetery cutting himself with stones. They bound him with chains, and he broke the chains and was running wild at Gadara. But Jesus cast the devil out of him, and the man went then to the cities of Decapolis, ten cities, and told what Jesus had done for him. And when men saw the difference, they marveled at the change. You see, that's when you become an instrument for God, when they marvel at the change. When they see us, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, new creatures in Jesus Christ. If you have been converted to Christ, there ought to be a change in you. Sam Jones, one of the most colorful preachers of all time, I have some of his stories and anecdotes in my study library, and I, I love to read about Sam Jones out of Georgia. One day after a meeting, a fellow who was obviously intoxicated with alcohol came to Sam Jones and said, Mr. Jones, I'm one of your converts. And old Sam Jones looked him in the eye and he said, Well, you must be one of mine. You're certainly not one of Christ's. And I like that. Because when we're Christ's convert, life changes. The old passes away and all things become N-E-W, new. 
And that's how God begins the work through us. When that change is evidenced and people have to say, as they said of the Gadarene, something has happened with this man. And many were brought to Christ because of that change. What is your attitude about sin? Do you see it as that dark, black, foreboding thing that it is that can ruin you and pull you to hell? The second thing I believe we need to look at is how the things of this world can satisfy us instead of the things of God. And if materialistic things are satisfying us, God cannot work through us. The example of that is the story Jesus told about the rich farmer. This rich farmer had ruled God out of his life because he had farms, barns, and grain. He was going to build new barns because of the blessings that had been flowing to his life. But Jesus called him a fool. You see, the things that satisfy us will in one way or another determine the effect of God using us. If you're satisfied with materialistic things, your value to God is limited, tremendously limited. Paul could say, my greatest joy is to know and serve Jesus. Paul had been a tent maker by trade. He did not say, my greatest joy is to make tents. My greatest joy is to know and serve Jesus. Now, friends, whether we be in the ministry full time or whether we be a builder of homes, or a banker, or a clerk, or a secretary, or a teacher. We need all of us to say what Paul said. My greatest joy is to know and serve Jesus, not to build houses, or not to serve as a secretary, or work in a bank. My greatest joy is to know and serve Jesus. That should be our witness to the world. And until it comes to that, God cannot work through us. There has to be a cutting away. Now, I believe that whatever you do, you should do your very best at it. But it should never be the first thing in our lives. He must be first. He must take precedence and preeminence. There must be the spark of Jesus Christ within us so that we will not feed on the things of this world, but on the living bread and the living water that flows from our benevolent Heavenly Father. I was reading in Genesis one day a passage I'd read many times when something new came to my attention. And that's the wonder of the Bible, isn't it? How you can read it over and over, but something new jumps out at you. I was reading about Noah and the ark and the great flood and how he had sent out a raven and a dove to see if the waters had been assuaged from the earth. 
And suddenly there it was. The raven did not come back, but the dove came back. And I thought, that's unusual. I wonder why one bird did not come back and the other did. And then I got to thinking, what do ravens feed on? They feed on putrefying flesh. They're cavernous kinds of creatures. And the ravens went out and they fed on all of the putrefying remains of the flood, but the dove has a different diet. The dove does not feast on the putrefying things of this world. And the dove came back because he knew at the ark there was that which would satisfy him. I wonder, my friends, if you're a raven or a dove. I wonder what satisfies us. Is it that which will be destroyed and will be burned up when this world passes away and the lust thereof? Or will the eternal satisfy us? And we will find ourselves serving him in that great eternity effectively. When the Holy Spirit of God works through us, the things that satisfies us, satisfy us are the things that satisfy him. Check up on yourself. Is he working through you? Thirdly, by your attitude toward others, God works through you. We touched on this briefly last week, the idea of love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. God doesn't work in anyone who's filled with hate. It's impossible. God works through us when there's love in our heart. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, One of you shall betray me. Isn't it interesting that in the Gospel narrative, each of the eleven sitting there said, Lord, is it I? They knew it was in their hearts to do it, evidently. And yet in that setting, Judas said, Lord, Lord, is it I? How did Jesus respond to Judas's, is it I? He said, Judas, what you have to do, do it quickly. And there wasn't a one of those disciples that knew that Jesus was talking about the betrayal of Judas. They thought the Lord was sending him out to buy food. You see, the Lord protected Judas even unto the end. It is a magnificent symbol of how he wants us to react toward one another and toward those beyond the church that we are a part of. Are we anxious to put down or build up? Are we anxious to lift or destroy? Are we anxious to love or are we too busy hating? Is our life a blessing or a curse? We learn something from the attitude of Jesus even when he knew that Judas was going to do what he was going to do. He did not hold that up in front of the rest of those disciples. He loved Judas even unto the end. He loved him in spite of his heart of betrayal. 
It is the call of the Spirit in a world filled with hate, child abuse, molestation, murder, theft, all kinds of debauchery. It is the call of the Spirit to the church to manifest God to the world with love and a touch of His Holy Spirit that will make them say what is different about this person than the rest. When we have love like He had, He will work through us. Do you have that spirit? Another way God works through us is by our attitude toward Christ's church. He loved the church and gave Himself for it, the Bible says. So it would be right for me to say, if we love Him, we will love the church for which He died. I want to make a very strong statement right now, and I want to make it loud and clear. It is my opinion that God's will is to work through His church to win this world. There is no such thing as an independent ministry or an independent person. It's impossible when you belong to the family of God. You have to belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And so often these days we are having people come to us saying, I feel led to go and start some kind of a ministry. And we have to say to them, when are you going to start ministering right here in the established church? It is not God's design to begin ministries just to satisfy our independence. God never has worked that way, and He never will work that way. He says, get in love with me, and you will love the church. And God will save this world through the church, proclaiming and living the truth. He's never changed His method. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a witness the church could be to the world today, but people who are members of the church are in many cases out doing other things today instead of serving in the church, instead of showing by their life and the ministry that maybe God has given to them that they love the church more than they love these other things. Pretty hard to tell somebody of the love of God when we don't love the church when we criticize the leadership and we pull every kind of person apart within the church. How is your love for the church? If a person is truly saved and God is working through him, he will share his money with the church. And he'll never consider it a personal affront when offerings are received or projects are launched for the glory of God. Because he loves the church, he wants to give everything possible to that church and to help people through that body of believers. Paul said with sadness, I persecuted the church of Christ. Thank God he was converted and was able to change that, but there was a segment of his life that he could never forget. I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. The world will not think you are saved if you neglect the church. You are, in essence, persecuting the very thing that brought you life if you don't love it and serve through it to 
to the very best of your ability. That's how God works. I believe that. He works that way. It's been his eternal plan. And he will not change it. And then, finally, God will work through you when you are determined to manifest his fruits instead of yours. Now, the fruits of the Spirit are listed there in Galatians 5, beginning with the word love. There are nine manifestations of Christ's fruit. Do we have them in our lives? Gandhi's name is very prominent these days because of that new film about him. But when somebody asked him about Christianity and what was the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India, Gandhi said without hesitation, Christians. In other words, there is no fruit or a tremendous lack of it from their lives. And Christianity was hindered even though he read about Jesus and read the scriptures, he never really wanted to become a Christian because of Christians. By their fruits ye shall know them. What happens in the office on Monday when they're telling their stories and you walk in after a day in church? Is there a change in the atmosphere because of the fruit of your life? There's a man in our congregation that He's fairly new to us. He has assumed a responsibility in this city. And someone was telling me who knows firsthand about the meetings that he runs compared to the meetings prior to his coming. Before his coming, there was all kinds of dirty stories and all kinds of conversation about different people going on in these meetings. And it was very disorderly. And now that this man has come, the whole tenor of those meetings has changed. There's no more of this filth flowing around. Why? Because of the fruit of a man's life. Christ's fruit, you see, which has its effect upon people wherever you go. A man was going through the slums one day in New York City, and as he went through, he saw children playing and men fighting and women cursing. He said the street was filled with noise and confusion. But suddenly a brass band turned a corner and started down that street and began to play. Every child stopped playing. The men stopped fighting. The women stopped cursing. The whole air was cleared up by the music of the band. My friend, that's the picture of a Christian, one whom God works through in this world. The whole thing clears up when that life walks into a room. Can you imagine what it would be like if we would all be used of God in our world and impregnate society? As the fruits of the Spirit are manifest from our lives. Are you one through whom God is working? Let me go back to that little story in Mark 5. There are many other things I'd like to say to you, but I'll leave it at this for today.
the Gadarene who met Jesus. Picture him going home. Let's say his wife's name was Mary, and he had a couple of children. But when he was in that home, there were beatings and fightings, turmoil, the breaking of furniture, bruises on the children and the wife. And whenever he came home, the children hid in another room and the wife hid behind any door she could find, and here he comes. He had not been home in many a week. He had been among the tombs, driven by spirits. But here he comes, up the steps of the homestead, and the children run to hide, and the wife gets behind a door, and he opens the front door, and the wife waits for cursing and an outburst of anger. But she hears him say, Mary, Mary, where are you? I love you, Mary. Please, where are you? I'm different, Mary. I'm changed, Mary. Reluctantly, Mary peeks out from behind the door and he spots her and rushes to where she is and throws his arms around her and begins to weep on her neck and says, Mary, I'm sorry for the way I have treated you. I'm sorry for the man that I have been, but I met somebody today that changed my life. They called him Jesus. And I'm clothed, Mary, look at me, I'm clothed. And I'm in my right mind, and Mary, I will never beat you again, I will never curse again. I've met Jesus today, Mary, I'm a different man than I was the last time you saw me. And then two little heads poke out from a doorway and he spots these two precious little children and he rushes to them and picks them up in his arms and hugs them to his bosom and says to them, Oh, children, forgive your daddy for the way he has treated you. I'm so sorry, but I'm a different daddy now. I've met Jesus. I'll never hurt you again. We're going to have a happy home. And into that home that day, there comes a peace and a love that had never been there before. But that's not the end of the story. Last week, we talked about God dwelling in us, but now we're talking about God working through us and what happens in that neighborhood. They all start talking about the new family. They used to have to go over there and break up fights. They used to have to go and take Mary to the hospital. And the neighbors are impressed with the change and they start getting closer and closer to the home to see what has happened. And they discover what has happened, that a man named Jesus touched that gathering. And he now professes Christianity. A new heart in him. And one by one, up and down that block, they start getting acquainted with this Nazarene called Jesus. 
and their homes begin to change. And then further down the block and into the next block it goes. Their homes are changed. God working through them by the fruits and the manifestation of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's how it works. But you've got to hate sin. You have to analyze what satisfies you. The things of the Spirit or the things of this world. You have to come to grips with the love factor. Are you hating or are you loving? Are you a channel? You have to examine the fruits of your life. Are they Christ's kind or man's kind? And then in Acts 2-4, the Holy Ghost came upon that gathered host, and they all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, indicating that for the first time in their lives, Peter included, his tongue was under the influence of the Spirit of God. The hardest member of the body to control, the tongue, was yielded to God, and he spoke a language he hadn't learned by the Galilee. It came from inside like a river. A river, a river to swim in, not just ankle deep, not just knee deep, not just loin deep, but water enough to cover you and to carry you along to be a blessing to the world God has put you in. That's how God works through us. Are you a channel? Have you yielded yourself to God? Let's bow in prayer, please, throughout the sanctuary. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But first, I want to ask if there are some of you we can pray for. You've come to church on this Mother's Day filled with yourself. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to surrender to Jesus. He's the best friend you'll ever find. He'll do for you what no one else can do. Perhaps you've come with that determination. I'm going to give my life to Christ today and allow the Holy Spirit to work through me from this day forward. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray intelligently for you and specifically just lift it up and, until I see it. Then you may put it back down, but I want to pray for you. I want to give my life to Jesus today. God bless you, sir. Right down here, I see your hand. God bless you back there toward my left hand. Keep raising them up and then down again as I see them. I want to give myself to Christ back over to my right. Thank you. Back over there. Up in the balcony. God bless you way up there in the back. Praise God. Over to my left. God bless you over here. I want to give my life to Christ. I know what he...